Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Inspiration and Transformation from the Banks of the Ganga with Sadvi Bhagwati Saraswati, an American sannyasi living at the Parmarth Nikitan Ashram in Rishikesh, India. Sadvi is president of the Divine Shakti Foundation, a charitable organization bringing education, vocational training, upliftment, and empowerment programs to women and children. Sadvi is also Secretary General of the Global Interfaith Wash Alliance and Director of the world-famous International Yoga Festival. Join the musings of an American sannyasi as Sadvi shares the wisdom and teachings of her guru, His Holiness, Pujyaswami Chidanand Saraswatiji. Welcome, everyone, to inspiration and transformation from the holy banks of the sacred Ganga River in the land of Rishikesh, India. We always tend to carry our parents with us. And this is just as true whether we are still living under their roof, whether we are living thousands of miles away, or whether we're living on entirely different planes of existence because they have left their bodies and passed away. One of the topics that comes up in satsang so frequently is the the subconscious, the unconscious, and how we've been programmed by the voices that we heard, not just with our ears, but with every cell of our being in our childhood. And there's no voice more powerful than the voice of the parents. And it's not just the words they spoke. It's not just the sound waves that emanated from their mouth and hit our inner ear and, you know, caused a reaction in the brain. But it's literally the impressions upon our psyche, upon our consciousness. And so you have a question, a father who was dominating, a common situation, who also happened to be the boss, a less common situation, at least the official boss. And he's passed away, but the person asking the question is still carrying him with him. And this is is one of the real tragedies of our life, that that which impacted us when we were young that which laid its impressions on our psyche in a way other than that which helped us to grow and evolve and open and expand. But everything that we were taught, whether directly, whether they said sit down and listen to this and learn it, 
or whether we absorbed it simply by the way our parents lived, by the way they spoke to each other. Because that's also how kids learn. Sometimes as parents, we think that the only thing we're teaching them is when we say, sit down and listen, I'm going to teach you something. But actually, how we live teaches them. How we speak to each other teaches them. And in fact, it teaches them and imprints upon them even more than the stuff that happens when we say, sit down, shut up, and listen, I'm teaching you something. This is where you get, you know, so many times parents will come in and they'll say, God, I don't know what's happened to my child. He or she has become so untrustworthy. They lie to me all the time. And, you know, I I don't know what to do. They're not spiritual the way that I'd like them to be spiritual. And if you, if you could rewind life 10, 15 years, what you'd find is numerous situations where we as, as spiritual people, as good people, as what we think of as honest people, people with integrity, so many situations in which, for example, we were supposed to meet someone for dinner, we're running late. We're getting dressed. The phone rings. We see it say the name of the person who we're supposed to be meeting for dinner. And we say to our child, Acha, pick it up and tell them we're on the way. Or we're in the shower. And, or sorry, we're not in the shower, but the phone rings and we say to our child, pick it up and tell them I can't talk, I'm in the shower. Tell them I'm not home. These tiny little, what most of us don't even consider lies. But they are lies in that they are not the truth. These little, little, little things that we think of as so harmless, so innocuous, just part of life, actually imprint so deeply upon our children that when they grow, what they learn is, oh, The truth is inconvenient. Oh, you don't want to tell someone the truth? No problem. Just tell a lie. You're running late? No problem. Tell them you're on the way. And then, of course, we can't understand where these children have have gone astray, have gone awry. So our parents, what, what they what they prioritize, what their values are, how they speak to each other, how coming home from a party, our mom and dad are, you know, talking to each other, not even talking to us, but talking to each other about, you know, God, so-and-so, God, that was the same sari she wore last week to the wedding. I wonder, God, how could she possibly wear the same sari, you know, two weeks in a row? Or, God, she had... She had that beautiful diamond necklace, and you make so much more than he does. How could he afford a diamond necklace? You couldn't afford one? God, look at look at how nice, how nice she was to him. She brought him, you know, a drink. She brought him a plate of snacks. You never bring me anything like that. Why don't why don't you take care of me the way she was taking care of him? Or just general gossip. God, she got fat. 
God, he seemed to be flirting with someone else. I wonder what's going on in their marriage, right? Little, little stuff. You'd say, well, what's, you know, it's harmless. Well, it may be harmless between the mother and father who are just amusing themselves at the expense of another, polluting the air, you could say. But to the child, it's actually much deeper. What the child is learning, A, is how to have two faces. How to be one way in front of people and how to be an entirely different way when you get in the car. The child is learning that material things are of great importance. Look, mom was so happy with dad in the car on the way to the wedding, but now they're having this huge fight because mom wants to know why dad doesn't buy her a diamond necklace the same way that this other guy bought his wife one. What that means is the presence or absence of this necklace determines mom's mental state. Material things matter, which mean, take it forward a step, God, I better not even think about being the artist or the musician I wanted to be or the monk I wanted to be or the teacher I wanted to be because those people don't make any money. God, if I'm ever going to make a woman happy, I better, I better go become something that makes a lot of money. Because someday my wife is going to want to know why I didn't buy her the diamond necklace. And these are the things that are imprinting so deeply on our children. How we look matters a lot. Look, mom and dad are talking about this lady or man who gained a few pounds. That's the subject of conversation. So what we teach our children just energetically determines who we are. And then, of course, when we grow decades later, so the boy who had, you know, wanted to be an artist, who became the engineer so that someday he could buy his wife a diamond necklace, well, 25 years later, he doesn't have any recollection of the wedding that they were coming home from when he was eight. He has no recollection of mom being upset that she didn't have a diamond necklace. He has no idea, in fact, how he ended up an engineer. His own kid says to him, well, Dad, when did you decide you wanted to be an engineer? And he can't recall because he never really did decide. This is, this is how our lives happen. And so circling back to the question, we have, we have the dad who's dominating, who's authoritative, who's the literal boss, well, yeah, I'm going to carry that around in my psyche. The fact that dad's no longer in his body is irrelevant. I don't need him to shout at me in person or over the telephone. I can shout at me in my own head in his voice even better than he could do it on the telephone. I've been perfecting it for decades. And this is where uh, a spiritual practice coupled with a psychological practice is so important. Otherwise, we literally end up, we're not the victims of our childhood, but we're the victims of our own 
inability, disinterest, lack of awareness of the patterning of our own brains and how it's determining how we live. So it's not that it's my mom's fault or my dad's fault or my uncle's fault or my teacher's fault. They were doing the best they could. You know, one of the things that I always find really powerful is for most of us, our parents, when we were young, were in their 20s, mid-20s, late-20s. Now, how many people here, raise your hand if you're over the age of 30. Okay, so almost everyone. Now, think about 25-year-olds you know. Anyone here right around 24, 25, 26? All right, great. You guys stand up for a second. Just stand up for a minute. You don't, you don't have to do anything. We just need to look at you. Okay? Ah, fantastic. Lots of you. So now, everyone have a good look at them. Do these, do these look like all-knowing, all-powerful beings? They look like kids. Right? I mean, I mean, you're beautiful. And you're kids. You can sit back down. Thank you. And, but as children, our parents are, they're all powerful. They're all knowing. And when they, when they say to us, either with their words, you're stupid, you idiot, you're worthless, or when they say it without their words. When what we learn is that when we come home with a good grade on an exam, we get lots of hugs, lots of love. We clean up our room, we get cookies, we get lots of hugs, lots of love. We don't do well on an exam, we don't clean up our room so well. Mom's mad, dad's mad, or at least they're withdrawn. At a minimum, they're withdrawn. Hmm. Do better next time, right? And what we learn is that love, that sense of worth is dependent upon not who we are, but how we perform. How clean our room is, how well we answered the questions on the exam determines how worthy we are of mom and dad's love and hugs and kisses. And now, when we look at our our beautiful sisters and brothers who just stood up, who are kids, we can all look at them, those of us over 30, can look at them and say, they're beautiful, they're wonderful. Yes, of course, their souls are ever-expansive and all-knowing. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But yeah, they're kids. And none of us would ever expect them to be all-knowing, all-powerful, to always have a full toolbox of ways to respond in every situation, to never say things that they shouldn't say. I mean, we don't do that, even those of us who are over 30. But especially at that age. But that's the age at which our parents are imprinting upon our psyches that which we're going to carry with us for the rest of our lives. In a moment of anguish, maybe in the moment of her own divorce, maybe in the moment of her own alcoholism, maybe in the moment of her own self-judgment that she carried from her father, our mother said to us, you'll never be anything. If you can't even clean up your room, for God's sakes, you'll never be anything. Well, at 40, at 45, at 50, when we find ourselves unable unable to stick with anything, unable to believe in ourselves. We don't remember mom saying that to us. But what we know is there's something wrong with me. We've, we've carried that deep sense with us. And so this is where the only way to undo it Not undo the love of our parents, not undo the presence of these wonderful people who, regardless of what they did, really were doing their best. Their best may not have been what we always would have hoped, but they were absolutely doing the best that they could at that time with their toolbox. To undo that impact, you've got to get back into the subconscious and unconscious because that's where it is. And this is where our spiritual practices are so important. This is where going within is so important. This is where psychological practices are important. It's where ritual is important. It's where anything that can get us deeper than just our intellectual mind. Because this is now on the level of the psyche. And so to the person who asked the question, what I would say is, Identify the voice of your father in your mind simply so that when it comes up, you don't mistake it for the inner voice of the divine. Because a lot of times we do that, we think, ah, that's my intuition. My intuition says I'm worthless. No. Someone in your life once said it and you internalized it so deeply that it now feels like your inner voice. So if you can identify it, if we can simply become aware of, ah, that was my teacher, that was my camp counselor, that was the guy next door who hated the sound of me practicing the trombone every day and told me that I would never be a musician. Hated the sound of me, you know, tap dancing around the backyard and told me that I would never be a dancer. Ah, that's his voice. Okay. 
ah, that's, that's mom's voice, that's dad's voice. And then as they come inside in our lives, what we're able to do is just sort of bow to them. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Hi, neighbor. Hi, teacher. I'm so glad you're still with me in presence. But I don't need that message anymore. It wasn't even true when I was seven, and it's certainly not true now. But it takes work. It takes work. You can't sadly just snap your fingers and make it go away. But grace, prayer, ritual, meditation, all of these things coupled with a practice of awareness. This is, this is what light is. When we speak about enlightenment, it's the light that goes on. And when the light is on, all of that ignorance, all of that fear that's generated out of the darkness, it's over. But you've got to have the experience. It's not enough to tell it to yourselves intellectually. It's like if you imagine that a child wakes up in the night and she's screaming and crying because there's a monster in the closet. She can see it. She sees the monster there in the closet. She's screaming. Mom comes in in the dark, and mom says, it's okay, sweetheart. It's not a monster. It's a jacket on a hanger. Now, the child trusts mom. Mom may even say, trust me, honey. I'm telling you, I promise. It's not a monster. It's a jacket on the hanger. And the the child will be a little bit calmed, but not completely. Yeah, she believes mom. Yeah, she trusts mom. But she looks over there and that is a monster. And when mom leaves the room, she's still going to be afraid. Maybe not as afraid because mom has promised her and there is that faith in mom. But chances are she's still not going to be able to go back to sleep because there is a monster in the closet. But... If mom had come in and had actually turned on the light instead of just convincing her in the dark, so that with her own eyes she could see the jacket on the hanger, the fear would be gone immediately. Mom would no longer have to say, don't worry, sweetheart, it's only a jacket. And even if the light got turned back out, that fear would never be able to be regenerated because she had seen, she had experienced, ah, It's just my jacket. And this is really the difference between just getting something intellectually. It's not that it doesn't help at all. It does help on some level. Particularly when we get it from a source in whom we have trust or faith. This is what religion gives us. It's what spirituality gives us. We hear a guru, a mentor, a guide, our priest, our rabbi, a minister, somebody. We read it in a book tells us, and it helps a bit. But in order for, for really the ignorance to go, the fear to go, that, all that stuff to go, the light has to come on. We have to actually experience the light. And that's, that's when we talk about enlightenment. It's literally the light is on. I get all of that which I thought existed Ah, 
It's not what I thought it was at all. Ah, oh, I thought I was this, this separate being over here. I'm not. I thought you were that separate being over there. You're not. I thought this whole game was all about, you know, what I look like and what I earn and what I achieve. And, and actually it's not. But experiencing that in the light is much, much more powerful than just having somebody tell it to me. And this is why we meditate. And this is why we pray. This is why we chant. This is why we do so many different things. And it doesn't matter what your religion is. And it doesn't matter how you meditate or how you pray or how you connect with God. whether it's at the foot of the tree in your backyard, whether it's in an official you know, temple or synagogue or mosque or church. doesn't matter. As long as you connect, because that, that connection is actually what rewires us internally. And that's what's needed. You're listening to OTRFM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. OM Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single... Circle of Hearts Radio is a sanctuary on the airwaves. Join me, Grandmother Alaya, in the circle on Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, as I share information to both enlighten and nourish your soul. Hi, this is Christina Ricci with Rain. Every two minutes, another American is sexually assaulted. If you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, you are not alone. Help is just a call or click away through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Please call 1-800-656-HOPE, that's H-O-P-E, or visit RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. Welcome back to Inspiration and Transformation. I'm so glad to have you all back here with me. How do I accept when another person does not want to continue the relationship with me? I cannot break all that was generated inside of me. Is that okay? Or does it prevent me from moving on? So this is a common situation. We, we fall in love. We have relationships. It might be a romantic relationship. It might be a best friend. But a relationship that generates lots and lots of love in us, lots of attachment in us, a relationship in which I identify in so many ways as I am in the relationship, so-and-so's wife or so-and-so's girlfriend or so-and-so's best friend. If I were a man, so-and-so's husband or boyfriend. And then that person, in the case of the question, announces they don't want to have the relationship anymore. It also happens sometimes the person dies. 
In either case, we have been left. In either case, that person is no longer with us. And as the questioner said, I can't break all that was generated. And is that okay? Or does that keep me from moving on? And it's, it's a beautiful point because when we lose a relationship of love, again, whether it was romantic love, whether it was best friend love, we have an experience of feeling like we have lost the love. But if we're really honest with ourselves and we really allow ourselves to go deep, below the ego, which of course has been injured. How dare you leave me? I tried so hard. I did everything. It's, it's an incredible blow to the ego. It makes us feel like, oh my God, I'm worthless. I'm not lovable. Sometimes we go the other way. Who the hell are you? You're a monster. I should have left you first. You know, I'm glad I'm better off without you. You know, whatever. Our ego plays all kinds of games. But in all the cases, we are left with an experience of no longer having the love. Whereas the truth is, the love is in me. It's not in the other person. The other person catalyzed what you could call my internal love-generating factory. As though there were a source of love, which there is, within me, that had been capped, and I didn't even know it was there. And that relationship with that person pulled the cap off that source, off the geyser of you know, love now that's flowing within me. It was catalyzed by the relationship. When I thought about that person in the relationship, this, this love flowed. But ultimately the love was within me. And the way that I know that is when the person I love went into the kitchen, if I was in the living room and they went to the kitchen or they went to the mailbox or they went to the store or they went to work or they traveled across the world, I didn't feel any less love. If the love were in them, or the love were a, a physical product of our physical proximity, it would get less and less the farther I were away from them. So every time that person went to the bathroom, every time they went to work, every time they ran an errand, or... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I ran an errand or I went to the bathroom. I would feel less love. Those of you sitting very close to that air conditioning are getting a lot more cold air than those of us over here. It's a physical proximity, right? It's being gen- that cold air is being generated in that air conditioner. The closer you are to it, the more cold air you have. The farther you get from it, the less cold air you have. If we go to the other side of that wall, we'll feel no cold air because it's in the AC. But our love isn't in the person. Our love is in us. And what that means is even when we are no longer with the person, whether they've left us because they've died or they've left us by choice, either way, they cannot reach inside of us and grab the love that is in us and take that also. That's ours. And I can still tap into that. Because yes, that person catalyzed it, but now it's there. And if you allow yourself, what you'll find is when you think about that person, not about them leaving you, maybe not about the last few weeks or months when you fought a lot before they left you, but when you think about the moments that pulled that cap off your internal source of love, they still make you feel love. You can still feel that love. And that's yours. That love is yours. So by all means, hold on to it. It doesn't mean you're holding on to the relationship. It simply means that you're holding on to the fruit of having trusted the universe enough to love. It's like that wonderful expression that says, you know, it's better to, love, to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Because if I've loved and lost, I still have the love. I may have lost the object of my love, but I still have the experience of love within me. That's that's your fruit for having trusted the universe, connected with the universe in love. So hold on to that. Don't hold on to the person's physical presence. You can't do that anyway. It doesn't work, whether they've died or whether they've left you. But hold on to the love. Because the truth really is that what you were loving in them anyway was God. If it was anything more than lust, if all you were interested in was the physical relationship, if all you were interested in was the sex or the sensuality, then it was lust, not love. But if you actually loved the person, not just lusted for them, but actually loved them, what you were loving was their spirit, their essence, their soul. Only loving their body is lust. Because the only way that I love a body is just how that body makes my body feel. That's what we call lust. But if I'm really loving, 
I'm loving soul, I'm loving spirit, I'm loving essence. And that soul, spirit, essence is God. And so whether their physical body connected to their ego and their karmic package decided that this relationship was no longer right, in their fear and their confusion and their anger, whatever it was, or whether their physical body was no longer healthy enough to stay alive, either way, their soul, their spirit, their essence is still there. Because that's, that's the divine. And so stay connected to that and absolutely keep experiencing the love within you. That is the gift. The physical stuff loses its appeal very quickly. It's very exciting in the beginning and loses its appeal very quickly. But the love, the love is the stuff that life is made of. Do not let anyone's ego or fear or confusion or karmic package or decision for whatever reason or the passing of their physical body deprive you of the source of love within you. That is yours. This is OTRFM, part of the IOM Radio Network. OM Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Om Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. Do you have time to read that inspiring book or that blog post you've been meaning to get to? In your busy world, how do you improve yourself and keep your life going? I'm Lisa Kay, and my Between Heaven and Earth radio show can transform your life just by listening. Be uplifted with inspiring topics, positive stories, and ideas that really work. Between Heaven and Earth Radio is conscious living for your soul. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Like Baldwin with people for the ethical treatment of animals. I grew up loving circuses and other traveling animal shows, but it never occurred to me what life might be like for the animals. Training wild animals to do things they don't understand takes force. Routine discipline with a hook or whip with the heel of a boot shows the animal exactly who's the boss. Don't patronize animal acts. Please contact people for the ethical treatment of animals. 757-622-PETA Welcome back. This is Sadvi Bhagavati Saraswati with inspiration and transformation. Simplest way of meditation, I would say, is meditate on the breath. It doesn't require you to know anything, memorize anything. Um, But I'm actually also a, a proponent of different types of meditation. I mean, personally... I practice different types, meaning my core meditation is a meditation on the breath with the chanting of a mantra. 
I happen to have a very overactive mind. My mind can watch my breath and run wild at the same time. And so, with the mantra and the breath, it's enough to keep my mind occupied. My mind cannot run wild if it's actually chanting my mantra and connected to my breath at the same time. But, but I also sometimes practice other types of meditation that are more, you could call, gyan yoga types of practice. It's not my everyday thing. I'm much more of a, of a bhakti yoga person by an everyday practice. But I'll sometimes bring in a practice of just meditating on who am I? Or meditating on I am the soul. What does that mean? Not in an analytic, I have to write an article on what is the soul, but just allowing the question to percolate. Let the answers be nonverbal, only the question is verbal. So the question comes in verbally, who am I? Who am I? Or I am the soul, I am the soul, whatever it is. And my, my instinct, because I'm academic, because I'm verbal, because I've got an overactive mind, is to start, yeah, I know I'm the soul because blah, 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 or, and not to go there. We're not writing articles, we're not giving lectures, we're not analyzing, we're not justifying. But can my being experience the answer in a nonverbal way. And that's a really f- beautiful and fun practice of meditation also. It takes me into a very different place. So these are all practices that are actually quite easy. None of them requires any special skill. I also do a, lo- do a lot of japa. Prior to meditation, during meditation, it brings the mind still. Uh, I would say those for me are the easiest way. But, you know, if we went around the room and we said, what's the easiest yoga asana? Probably as many people as are sitting here, we'd have as many different answers. You know, for people who are young and limber and no knee issues, you know, sit in Padmasana. I used to sit in Padmasana in kindergarten. I had no idea it was called Padmasana. We thought it was really fun. We'd fold up our legs and walk on our knees. And, you know, I didn't know yoga. I don't even remember learning that. But at that age, I would have said, oh, yeah, that's the easiest thing to do. We used to do it in school auditoriums. You take people as we age the posture that's easier for us is going to become a different one. But the point being, there's no right answer. There is no one easiest yoga posture other than, you know, Shavasana. But if you've got a back issue, if you've got a certain back pain, lying flat on your back in Shavasana is not an easy asana. And actually, they've got to bring a chair, and you've got to put your knees up on the chair because the back can't relax without it. So even Shavasana is not easy for people with certain back issues. 
So just as there's no one easiest or right or best yoga asana, there's also no one right or easiest meditation. Whatever works for you. My, my favorite story on this subject is a story of three guys who are stranded on an island and naturally they're panicked because they're stranded on an island and they pray and pray and pray for God to save them. And one day they wake up and there's this canoe on the shore and they're ecstatic and they get in the canoe and they row the canoe back to the mainland and they're thrilled we've been saved. A couple of weeks later, someone sees them walking through the marketplace in a single file line and they're carrying this canoe on their heads. And the person asks them, why are you carrying that canoe on your head? And they say, oh my God, this canoe, it saved our life. We were stranded on the island and this canoe is our best friend. It got us across. And the person said, well, that's great, but why are you carrying it on your head in the market? And again, they said, God, this canoe, it saved our life. It's our best friend. We were stranded. Now, you understand the canoe was a tool a tool to get them across the water. It didn't actually matter what it was. It could have been a yacht. It could have been a raft. It could have been jet skis. It could have been anything. All that mattered is that they were able to use it to get across the water. And that's what meditation is. It's not about the technique. The canoe served its purpose. It brought them there. Now they've actually handicapped themselves by holding on with this death grip to the canoe. Because obviously you cannot move through the world very well if you've got a canoe on your head. In the same way, when we meditate, it takes us across the water. Once you reach where you're going, because there comes a place when you're meditating where whatever the technique is, it falls. And there's a point I begin, my breath, my mantra. And there comes a place where there is no breath. The mantra is kind of chanting itself. And in that place, if I tell myself, Oh, wait, I've lost the technique. Oh, wait, my breath. Oh, wait, my mantra. It pulls me out of the meditation. In the same way that holding the canoe on their heads pulls them out of their ability to be where they've arrived. So use it as a tool, whatever technique you use, with the awareness that all that needs to happen is it needs to get me there. And when I'm there, This is OTRFM, part of the IOM Radio Network. OM Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. OM Times. 
co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. Do you have time to read that inspiring book or that blog post you've been meaning to get to? In your busy world, how do you improve yourself and keep your life going? I'm Lisa Kay, and my Between Heaven and Earth radio show can transform your life just by listening. Be uplifted with inspiring topics, positive stories, and ideas that really work. Between Heaven and Earth Radio is conscious living for your soul every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Like Baldwin with people for the ethical treatment of animals. I grew up loving circuses and other traveling animal shows, but it never occurred to me what life might be like for the animals. Training wild animals to do things they don't understand takes force. Routine discipline with a hook or whip with the heel of a boot shows the animal exactly who's the boss. Don't patronize animal acts. Please contact people for the ethical treatment of animals. 757-622-PETA Welcome back. This is Sadvi Bhagavati Saraswati with inspiration and transformation. How do I accept when another person does not want to continue the relationship with me. I cannot break all that was generated inside of me. Is that okay? Or does it prevent me from moving on? So this is a common situation. We, we fall in love. We have relationships. It might be a romantic relationship. It might be a best friend. But a relationship that generates lots and lots of love in us, lots of attachment in us, a relationship in which I identify in so many ways as I am in the relationship, so-and-so's wife or so-and-so's girlfriend or so-and-so's best friend. If I were a man, so-and-so's husband or boyfriend. And then that person in the case of the question, announces they don't want to have the relationship anymore. It also happens sometimes the person dies. In either case, we have been left. In either case, that person is no longer with us. And as the questioner said, I can't break all that was generated. And is that okay? Or does that keep me from moving on? And it's, it's a beautiful point because... When we lose a relationship of love, again, whether it was romantic love, whether it was best friend love, we have an experience of feeling like we have lost the love. But if we're really honest with ourselves and we really allow ourselves to go deep, below the ego, which of course has been injured, how dare you leave me? I tried so hard. I did everything. It's, it's an incredible blow to the ego. It makes us feel like, oh my God, I'm worthless. I'm not lovable. Sometimes we go the other way. Who the hell are you? You're a monster. I should have left you first. You know, I'm glad I'm better off without you. You know, whatever. Our ego plays all kinds of games. But in all the cases... We are left with an experience of no longer having the love. Whereas the truth is, the love is in me. It's not in the other person. 
the other person catalyzed what you could call my internal love generating factory. As though there were a source of love, which there is, within me, that had been capped and I didn't even know it was there. And that relationship with that person pulled the cap off that source, off the geyser of, you know, love now that's flowing within me. It was catalyzed by the relationship. When I thought about that person in the relationship, this, this love flowed. But ultimately the love was within me. And the way that I know that is when the person I love went into the kitchen, if I was in the living room and they went to the kitchen or they went to the mailbox or they went to the store or they went to work or they traveled across the world, I didn't feel any less love. If the love were in them or the love were a, a physical product of our physical proximity, it would get less and less the farther I were away from them. So every time that person went to the bathroom, every time they went to work, every time they ran an errand, or I ran an errand, or I went to the bathroom, I would feel less love. Those of you sitting very close to that air conditioning are getting a lot more cold air than those of us over here. It's a physical proximity, right? It's being gen that cold air is being generated in that air conditioner. The closer you are to it, the more cold air you have. The farther you get from it, the less cold air you have. If we go to the other side of that wall, we'll feel no cold air because it's in the AC. But our love isn't in the person. Our love is in us. And what that means is even when we are no longer with the person, whether they've left us because they've died or they've left us by choice, either way, they cannot reach inside of us and grab the love that is in us and take that also. That's ours. And I can still tap into that. Because yes, that person catalyzed it, but now it's there. And if you allow yourself, what you'll find is when you think about that person, not about them leaving you, maybe not about the last few weeks or months when you fought a lot before they left you, but when you think about the moments that pulled that cap off your internal source of love, they still make you feel love. You can still feel that love. And that's yours. That love is yours. So by all means, hold on to it. It doesn't mean you're holding on to the relationship. It simply means that you're holding on to the fruit of having trusted the universe enough to love. It's like that wonderful expression that says, you know, it's better to love to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all because if i've loved and lost i still have the love i may have lost the object of my love 
but I still have the experience of love within me. That's, that's your fruit for having trusted the universe, connected with the universe in love. So hold on to that. Don't hold on to the person's physical presence. You can't do that anyway. It doesn't work, whether they've died or whether they've left you. But hold on to the love. Because the truth really is that what you were loving in them anyway was God. If it was anything more than lust, if all you were interested in was the physical relationship, if all you were interested in was the sex or the sensuality, then it was lust, not love. But if you actually loved the person, not just lusted for them, but actually loved them. What you were loving was their spirit, their essence, their soul. Only loving their body is lust. Because the only way that I love a body is just how that body makes my body feel. That's what we call lust. But if I'm really loving, I'm loving soul, I'm loving spirit, I'm loving essence. And that soul, spirit, essence is God. And so whether their physical body connected to their ego and their karmic package decided that this relationship was no longer right, in their fear and their confusion and their anger, whatever it was, or whether their physical body was no longer healthy enough to stay alive, either way, their soul, their spirit, their essence is still there. Because that's, that's the divine. And so stay connected to that. And absolutely keep experiencing the love within you. That is the gift. The physical stuff loses its appeal very quickly. It's very exciting in the beginning and loses its appeal very quickly. The love. The love is the stuff that life is made of. Do not let anyone's ego or fear or confusion or karmic package or decision for whatever reason or the passing of their physical body deprive you of the source of love within you. That is yours. This brings to a close this hour of inspiration and transformation. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad to be together with you all each week. And I look forward to being together again next Thursday, same time, on Ohm Times Radio. Mm-hmm.